0: good afternoon guys we're all getting ready for the hawks game but knowing you're following us we are georgia fans and we're excited about what's coming up um the big weekend recruiting on campus we are joined today by uh brent rollins of ugasports.com and he is on twitter at pffbrent, brent pff underscore brent and so by that you know he also works with uh pro football focus and on top of that he's got a killer podcast with tug cowart um georgia by the numbers um he follows and studies and brings uh the same sort of looks that are stats that i like to follow and stuff so i'm excited to have him on uh brent welcome good afternoon
1: thanks thanks for having me anytime we can i i enjoy talking football with anyone
0: yeah exactly, I know, exactly. <laughs> and, people
1: who, and people who follow the same things that i follow now now hey all right Let's talk football. I love
0: time. it. Yeah, we've been doing it all spring. You and Dane and all those guys over at UJ Sports. I mean, that's 24-7. I mean, well, sorry, that's not them. But, you know, 24-7, 365. <laughs> uh, free shout-out to those guys. And up, up up top, or on my screens up top, Grand Coffee Dog out west. And he's been out west. And he has been uh, sort of taking his official visits in his own right this month. <laughs> so, we've been down this month. But we are back, and we're excited to talk about uh, the Georgia offense. Um, so, I think we're all excited. We've been talking and Graham and I've been arguing with some of the things that we hope and expect to see out of Georgia offense. Um, and Brent, talk to us about where we are as a, as, a, as a team offensively and just sort of where we are in the sport overall uh, with, you know, what we got to expect and what we need out of the offense.
1: Well, if, you know, as you said, you listened to the podcast with Tug and I, one of our phrases that we continuously said, we should have put on a t-shirt in some way was offense just means more and it does and and that's today today's game has evolved to that and nick saban recently has done a bunch of interviews that he's talked about that other the other coaches have and, and the, the math just favors it and if you know looking at offense and and we'll kind of get into the whole drift to to the passing game uh but you know it's and it's fun it's and i'm an offensive guy i coach Uh, I coach football and coach a lot of a lot of offenses I coach the offensive side we do as much fun things as we can and read game and things like that offensively so you know it's it's evolved to the point where it's truly basketball and grass and I I can't I love it because to me that's that's what makes the sport great is when you have great quarterbacks and great offenses on the field it, it makes it that much more interesting
2: yeah what i guess my question would be brent to go a little off script here i know we've got some numbers and stuff that josh is going to share but i feel like there's been a big uh kind of argument within the media of has kirby smart evolved and you know caught up to this trend and you know the saving quote like your you referenced earlier got thrown around a lot during the season last year as Georgia kind of struggled in the passing game under Stetson Bennett and Dewan Mathis. And, like, my theory was always that, you know, Kirby kind of had the same epiphany after the the 2019 SEC championship game lost to LSU, and he saw that offense and what it was doing and brought Todd Monkin in to, to kind of keep up with the Joneses of the, the Alabamas and the LSUs, or Oklahoma, you know, was probably one of the – teams on the forefront of all this, but like, do you agree with that? Take that you know, the, the design under Monkin last year was, you know, the intention was to be one of those kind of spread passing attacks, or do you feel like there's still more that has to happen in the evolution of that offense to catch up?
1: Uh, there's a little bit to different, few different things to unpack there. First thing, I think the question of whether Kirby has, you know, shifted his philosophy. I think you saw that in 2018. Just look at how aggressive Georgia was in 2018 in the SEC championship game against Alabama. Yeah. They, they were super aggressive early in the game, and especially in the passing game. And that's how they got the lead. They just couldn't hold it and couldn't, you know, took the foot off things. the gas. I mean, right.
0: they, they, they did. They took the foot off the gas a little bit offensively.
1: Right. Uh, but early in the game, you saw that aggressiveness. And I think in 2019, it was like, all right, Coley came and, and, and just wasn't it and you could see that, and that was quickly there. Uh, There were some things that I think he brought to the offense that gave it a little bit of diversity, but the consistency, especially in the passing game, was just not there. And then, obviously, the hiring of Todd Monken, to me, is is just the, hey, we are going into, this is what we're about. We're about still being a pro-style offense, but attacking through the air uh, primarily because that's what he's known for, and that's what he's done at every stop he's been. Uh, But secondarily, looking at just georgia's offense in general i think they are they are creeping there there are still certain things from their offense that from my perspective in the college game at least they don't take advantage advantage of from an efficiency standpoint that mm-hmm. when you look back at this past season steve sarkisian ex- gave the absolute perfect blueprint For what georgia should and want to be offensively still be throw the ball and throw the ball on early downs max protect play action pass but constantly attacking in the passing game while still being powerful in the running game using a lot of two tight end sets things that they do and and there's some evolution there that i think they can get especially when we look at some of like average depth of target for uga quarterbacks last year with with jt stetson and juan versus somebody like Mac Jones a season ago. So there's a lot of efficiency things in college football that I think they aren't quite taking advantage of. The bubble screen game, that kind of thing, uh-huh. that I think they're gradually getting to. But the downfield element, the the mid-range, the sort of middle part of the field, the 10 to 20 yards, and the down the field part of the passing game is there. There were layups consistently provided last year. They just didn't hit them, at least not till the end of the season, obviously.
0: Right. Well, yeah, I mean – well let's let's jump in and we had shown this little graph up there shortly you know just sort of talking about where the offenses in college football have gone um you know it's it's clearly becoming much more of a 50 50 if not uh you know advantage to the passing game uh as opposed to running the ball and you can see these numbers increase every year in the college football era um and that's kind of what you're talking about brent you're saying that you know Georgia may be lagging behind and catching up that, but this offense is poised and potentially what we saw at the end of last year, ready to sort of uh, c- compete with those elite offenses.
1: Oh, hundred percent. They, they, they should be able to compete with anyone and everyone offensively this year. There's too many weapons, especially now with Gilbert and toe. Uh, there's too many weapons. There's too much depth. There's too much talent across the board and you have competent and possibly, you know, high level play at the quarterback position.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, and I think the other aspect of that is like you know I think the number that got thrown around in the off season was that Monken only installed what thirty percent of his playbook last well, year. So,
0: well, Brent, in our notes, you talked about sort of like two plays that just that we started the conversation out with, and and this is um I don't, this is JT's first third down in the in the Mississippi State game, and it goes for a sack. Right. Well, that's
1: yeah, and that's one where early in that game i think the play it may have been the play right before that he threw what should have been a pick Mm -hmm. uh and and it just got dropped and then that play it was like okay that's someone who is in their first live action game in however long it had been for him i don't know like 13 14 months at least something like that okay that was what that was
0: yep and then here comes a similar play later in the quarter or later in the half where he just you say you're thinking he's already got his game it's a little bit game speed
1: is increasing a bunch right very much so and that's that's that play right there and, and that and then previously i think the pickens t- touchdown came before that the, the, on the run throw to pickens in the corner of the end zone like those couple of throws that were are like okay now we got a little something and <laughs> yeah i mean these, i mean they, I, the I can only all... places where he hadn't been able to before
0: I know exactly. I mean, this is like, you can just feel the energy in the stadium and all across dog nation just go, Oh my God, this is literally, this is what we've been missing the entire season. I mean, Stetson played great is for, you know, a handful of games, but it was clearly that we were being limited a little bit on quarterback play.
1: Yes. Well, yeah, it is what it is, but I think with Daniels, now you you feel like you have that at least competent level of quarterback play.
2: Yeah. I mean, putting a ball, you know, on the sideline on a rope like that against cover three at the end of the half on a first and 20 play when everyone knows, you know, probably what's about to happen in a game that close that Georgia's is going to try and go get points for the half. Like we haven't seen that in Athens, you know, that type of vertical passing threat, you know, I would argue at least since Aaron Murray, um, and maybe even going back to Stafford, I don't know that JT has quite that big of an arm. But uh, no. it's it's definitely just – I mean, as an offensive coordinator,
1: doesn't this just open everything up? Yes, it does. And, and especially for someone who has the background that, that Monken has in the pro game as well as you know, sort of that air raid background where – and you saw it with – when you look at Stetson, JT, and Dewan all three of them, their average depth of target was all in the top five, top 10 ish of the entire FBS power five. So they are constantly pushing the ball down the field. And, from an, and from an accuracy standpoint, I think Josh just put up on, put it on the screen there. What mm-hmm. you saw when JT took over as much as anything is giving receivers a chance to make plays that data specifically there that's how we so one of the things that we do at pff is in addition to all the grading of a particular play and all the various like the mountains of tendency and tracking data that we have and all things that we have we do we do ball placement charting so that's what these these numbers reflect so you look at daniel's the accuracy the one that says accuracy that is just so for example if you take a bullseye around you know the chest of the receiver that's hey an accurate throw is in a certain range and then the second one catchable inaccurate goes to a all right it's a little bit outside that bullseye outside of the frame but it's something the receiver can go get the third right. column is uncatchable inaccurate basically nobody's touching that and if you look <laughs> at the bottom there with the one that was by the way the highest in the power five <laughs>
0: <laughs> or his
1: minimum level of attempts um wow. And then that last column is accurate plus, which is one of the throws that jo- the third down or the first and 20 throw that Josh showed. That was where you're putting the ball absolutely. The That's the bullseye, the other bullseye, bullseye, hitting the, from a throwing perspective. So if you look at just catchable balls that Daniels threw, he dwarfed Stetson Bennett. And that was where, you know, that's where you started to see the offense pick up more than anything is the receivers just had opportunities to actually go make the plays and go make catches.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it felt like that Florida game in particular after Stetson got hurt, like, I mean, how many, you know, how many times did we see a receiver clear by three to five yards with an open path to the end zone and the ball Mm -hmm. just couldn't get there?
1: Yeah, well, you're six inches too far. You're a foot too short. You're six just, inches like, is great. <laughs> it's very yeah. g- g- generous on some of those balls. <laughs> very true. But like I, I remember showing a, a little video of the exact play with Stetson like late in the second quarter, and then DeWan in the fourth quarter. They just flipped the field. They're going the other way. The position, the formation, just flipped sides to where they were going. They ran the exact same play, and it was a touchdown both times. And the
0: throw just right. missed. Yeah, I, I'm going to go through a couple of graphics. I've you know if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen them. But this basically just shows you, okay, yeah, no brainer. Um, you know, based on the EPA and, and you know success rate, Alabama and Florida were you know head and shoulders against the rest of the SEC, and you can see Georgia sort of mired there in the middle. But if we if we go to the next one, uh, you can see that our um, this is our those same sort of measurables that everybody else in the in the league is the same numbers, but you can see those four games that JT played, we're second in the lead ahead of Florida in terms of EPA. Our success rate still is pretty low at forty six point three. We need to, and I, I mean, I'm I'm guessing you you've seen the same thing in your numbers that we've got to get more, uh, uh, you know, a higher percentage of success on some of these on these passing plays.
1: Yeah, I think that a lot of that will come with how they attack early downs this year. And because that's where you create the efficiency. And that's what Alabama did this past year with Mac Jones, where there were multiple occasions where first and second down, they're in the pistol and it's play action. And they they run a two receiver route where it's just Mm -hmm. Devontae Smith, especially against Georgia, where it's just Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle working down the field against people. And those guys are going to win. They max protect, all right, and let those guys win. Or it's the screen game. Or it's the RPO game like those things from an efficiency standpoint, allow the big plays to happen later in a game or, you know, when you can hit like against South Carolina, when you can hit Aaron Smith on a deep ball, things like that, or, you know, Darnell, some of the stuff that he did later on this season. You know, those things are allowed to happen because you're efficient and put yourself in a second and two on the opponent's 40 as opposed to consistently living in second and seven or greater
0: well this kind of chart shows kind of what we you guys were talking about at the head of the show where you know you graham you were asking brent if 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 the monk and offense is what we think it is and this right here jumped out at me as just when i crunched the numbers that georgia explosive plays passing plays led led the league um and that now granted that's going to be Somewhat helped by a lower percentage of success, successful plays, whereas Alabama and Florida had a lot more successful plays, and that sort of kind of not bogged down their numbers. But you can see that when the plays he called the plays and when they were executed properly, they were explosive on offense. So I, I, this chart right here made me as excited as anything. And then I'll finish up this last one here. Oh, that was it. That was my last one. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think we've got the offense. Uh, and we just and we've got the players and uh, i mean we've got some you know there's a lot of attrition always in college football you know you're never going to have you know four-year starters on everything we're going to have a young offensive line but um brand i don't know if you can see these but these are some of your your jt Daniels pff stats that we've um uh that you that you guys do i don't know if how many of you guys are subscribed to the college plus uh premium stats for college football but it's amazing how much de- how much more detail you can get in there it's fantastic yeah
1: and they've added a lot like it just this past year really over the last even maybe six months they've added a lot of the things like for example you and turnover worthy plays big time throws things like that you didn't get to see those previously it was, it was a lot watered down they are adding and adding uh, more and more to what you can uh, see from, nice. the, from the premium stats stuff. all
0: right so we sh- we've shown some of the good plays uh the four plays, and the or four or five plays in the mississippi state game which is clearly the best game we had on offense i mean we had i mean none of them were bad but do you want to talk about sort of i mean if there was regression or if there's reason to be you know concern or pump the brakes a little bit that that you know, jt is is gonna have just pick up where he just left off last season um you can see it. there's turnover worthy plays that you spoke about can you sort of talk about some of those or any of these you, you talked about the depth of target right there you can see that was kind of it down i mean cincinnati is a good defense but i don't know can you break give us some of these numbers when we look at them because when you get to pff there's just a sh- crap load of information so these are some yes. of the ones that are highlighted talk talk a little bit
1: well let's 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 go sort of uh we'll start with big time throws since you know most folks know that that's completion percentage and yards per attempt so big time throws for pff are basically the best throws. And if and in our grading system, and if you look, it's online. You can see you know if you go and you really want to know and break it down. But it's basically every play is graded. Every player on every play is given a grade. Now, that doesn't always necessarily have to be a, you know, plus, minus, something like that. It's between negative two and positive two, where uh, positive two is Eli Manning to, uh, what is his name, Mario Manningham or something like that, the guy, the one on the sideline in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like they're, that's like all time great throw play, that kind of thing, game winning, that kind of thing versus most plays are typically in the plus you know plus 0.5, minus 0.5, things like that. When you get to big time throws, those are our highest graded throws. So plus one plus 1.5 plus two in terms of degradations. So, and what a big time throw is, is in addition to the grade, it's, you know, ball location, and a lot of times, you know, you're putting it the ball further down the field, you're throwing it into a very tight window, like the throw you like one of Daniels big time throws against Mississippi State was the one you saw on the sideline the Burton a little earlier, and, and the other throw to Burton as well for the touch for the long touchdown. Those were two of his big time throws in that game. And a lot of times that that ratio lends itself to pushing the ball down the field, you have more opportunities for those type of throws versus, say, like against South Carolina, where the yards per temp, you know, a little bit down, a lot of that, some of that drops, but still yet you, you maybe you get the screen pass that James Cook takes for 20. Well, that's an expected right. play. That, the quarterback's not getting, you know, a massive grade for that. And they're not getting a great upgrade because all they've done is thrown, you know, caught the ball, make the fake, throw the ball out to the side and put it an accurate throw. That's an expected play. A lot of times it's zero graded play. So that's why you see his PFF grade of 95 in that first game passing grade because of the high level of difficulty combined with the big time throws that he was making and here's the key the key to all this both big time throws grade and then turnover worthy plays it's independent of outcome so if he puts that ball of ah. Burton on the sideline that you know perfectly and it literally just goes right through his hands do you, does that impact JT Dien's grade no he's positively graded for the throw he can't control whether or not the ball is caught right so that's the biggest thing that I think anyone wants to you know that our grading system and which has been sort of perfected I think as best as it possibly can because there's always some level of subjectivity to any of that stuff sure but as pot we've seen so much over the years and we train so much on what we have to do that the grading comes to the point where it individualizes what someone is asked to do and quarterback play none more than, and more than any of the others. All right. So here's, so let me
2: ask you this question real quick, Brent, like with the, the sacks in the Cincy game, you know, were the, does that like, there was a lot of instances last year where we saw JT maybe hold on to the ball a little bit too long. Try to the play one we just saw a little ball. bit ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, like in that instance, Is he getting, you know, is he getting uh, points deducted from his grade in those situations? Or is the offensive lineman that, you know, lets the guy come free? Or is it dependent on if, you know, right at the snap, the offensive lineman whiffs on the block? That's not on JT. But if, you know, there's decent protection and everything breaks down and he doesn't throw the ball away when he should,
1: then he's getting docked. Kind of give me an idea how that works, if you don't mind. Every everything you said is factored into that okay so for and and this is one of the things that you know gets missed a lot of times and Georgia was actually really bad at this past year and it it sort of reared its ugly head in the Cincinnati game was pass protection from the running back position like those guys are asked asked to pass protect as much and and when you looked at I think it was in the neighborhood of like 57th out of or 58th out of 65 in terms of running back pass block grade lowest in the one of the lowest in the power five, basically. So it's something that another offseason will improve. But all of that is factored into the grade when you look at offensive line play and then even running backs and tight ends coming back into that as as pass protection, there's only so much they can do. At a certain point, the ball has to come out. Like right there, the the one that was just on the screen of the Josh Allen screen. That was Kenny. That was on Kenny McIntosh all day. Boom. We have instant instantly there that's nothing there now the Turner by the way that still is a turnover worthy play because he's running around and fumbles the ball you know, so
0: <laughs> yeah like yeah
1: those kind of things all all of that is taken into the context but the key being is what can you as the individual your position control so if McIntosh gets whipped right there you you're now under pressure is that sack on you would it be no but like for example against South Carolina I think there was a third down maybe it was a second down. Or in the in early in the second quarter, somewhere in the second quarter, where he just hold a hold it, and then he broke the pocket towards the South Carolina or Georgia, towards the Georgia sideline, and got sacked. That's on him. And then yeah. we put the, we put those pressures, and it's actually by the way in the premium stats. If you look at under position and then uh, QB like allowed pressure,
0: uh-huh.
1: I think Spencer Rattler, by the way, led the Power Five in terms of percentages of pressures that were on him. <laughs> so that were on the quarterback,
0: and that's, right, right.
1: And this is a big, and this is a big topic in the NFL too, because we've shown, and the predictive part of that is that quarterbacks consistently can control their pressure rates. Somebody like Russell Wilson, who you see, like you know, scrambling around, or or Deshaun Watson, they consistently are pressured more than other quarterbacks because they hold the ball too long versus someone right. like, like, a, like Drew Brees, or I'm trying to think of others who have, you know, sort of quicker time to throw QBs can control their pressure rates. And that's where all of that is factored into great if you've that sack is on you where for example, if you drop back into a normal, you know, your normal drop out of the gun, and then you sit there, sit there, sit there, and then you take it back further. Back away from where the pocket should be, and the defensive end comes around and gets a sack on the on off the tackle. That's on the quarterback. The defensive end doesn't expect the quarterback to be four yards back further. He expects right. him to be in a certain spot and move up, not necessarily go back. So all those things are taken into account when you look at grade.
2: So with the the Cincinnati game like that, you know, I think a lot of people will look at that and they'll be like, "Well, you know, he threw for three hundred ninety nine yards, but." His grade there was a, you know, a 53.7, whereas every other game had been 75 or higher. I mean, I, you know, I know that you haven't like been watching the the tape of that game recently, or probably haven't been, but like it was that a lot of what went into that negative grade were those, you know, the two fumbles, the interception, and just kind of a lot of like bad decision making slash hero ball kind of complex.
1: Yes, very much so. And by the way, another gotcha. interception if I remember right got got taken away because of an, a pass interference penalty on Pickens, if I if I remember right. I uh, think so. Yeah. So, for example, that goes to your grade. That play actually did happen. You know, the, yeah. that's one of the things where that play just doesn't cease to exist because there was a penalty and you moved 15 yards forward. You still threw a ball up for grabs that got picked.
2: You Interesting. Know, okay.
1: Uh, so, uh, all that all that matters. All does, those things taken to or taken into account now
0: nice. one of the things about epa is important is is the biggest thing is conversion and, and and uh field position do does down distance and factor into any grades like do you get is there i mean i guess i guess if big time throws is just a mag uh, you know uh, an x you know plus factor uh my video went out i'm still here uh that um d- does it factor in like if it's a third down and, t- and 17 or third and 11 that he converts does that yes. factor in? It does?
1: Especially if you're pushing the ball down the field into a t- or pushing the ball into a tight window to make a big play like that. Yes. Of course, all those things are going to factor into play. No, that but in sense. terms of the Cincinnati game, what you asked, Graham, I think that's the biggest, like, in terms of analytics truth that I think that you can have now. One is that throwing, you have to be a threat throwing the ball. The passing game is more important, thus – the players that impact the passing game qb wide receiver cornerback pass rusher have more value their position value is much greater it's and by the way these things are at a much greater magnitude in the nfl because we have way more years of data and there's and it's way more passing game driven the second thing is that traditional sort of quarterback and running back stats can massively lie whereas the grade tells you exactly what happened for example a couple years back uh, Aaron Rod- they, we got ripped because Aaron Rodgers had like a I don't know 70 grade on a game he had 420 yards and four touchdowns but uh, like three of those touchdowns were balls he threw five yards for a screen and then somebody took 70 for a TD gotcha. you know so just like uh if you like Jake from a year ago in 2019 his best game were probably some of his worst traditional stat lowest traditional stats his best game was against Notre Dame he put balls in places in that game that were touchdown-type throws and great throws, I think he had a 92, 93 grade in that game. Versus another game that he may have had 300 yards and three touchdowns because it's a screen to Swift that Swift takes six, 60. Or you know, back in 2018, I remember the the one I always use as an example is he threw a little bubble to McCole Hardman and he out, literally outran South Carolina's entire defense for 50-yard touchdown. Like that's mm-hmm. nothing that the quarterback does. That's the grade is reflective of that. <laughs>
2: Right. No, that makes sense. And I mean, I think that's very fair and probably, uh, you know, a better indicator. I mean, like, you know, stats, I hate to say this with, you know, my partner being, uh, at dog underscore stats here, but like stats can lie. Uh,
0: I've made them lie all off season, dude. You kidding me? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think like kind of
2: pivoting a little bit, uh, but also staying on that Cincinnati game, uh, I think, you know, what we saw in that game from Daniels, like, like you're saying, team. you know, he he ended up, you know, no, since he was really good defense, but there was a lot of misplays down the field. And there was kind of, you know, some stuff going on with his deep ball mechanics where it felt like those balls were just dying, even though mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know, in a dome stadium and all of that, like.
1: The one to Arian Smith.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, the one to Arian Smith in particular, and then the really strange throw to Burton right there at the end of the game that like maybe could have been an interception.
1: Uh, maybe the that was a turnover-worthy play, by the way. That was one of the. Four- okay. Yeah, I was, I was hoping
0: we'd get some of these. Maybe, maybe uh, we'll we'll start see, a, a Twitter thing. I can, and,
1: and... I can probably tell you the four in that game without even looking it up. One is the one at the uh, end of the game to, uh-huh. to Burton. Uh, the other is the interception itself. The, the one interception that he had. Okay, so turnover
0: uh, the, turnover worthy
1: count the turnovers as well. Yes. But okay. it also, for example, it doesn't necessarily sorry I'm gonna the good. phone here a little bit, uh make sure it doesn't fall on me. Uh <laughs> but the uh the, it's independent of the result. Just right. like the the throw against like where you see the Mississippi State one turnover worthy play. That was the his first pass of the game, I think. Yeah. The second down right before the third down sack where, where it should have been picked. That's a turnover-worthy play. Much like uh, Kyle Trask, the, the interception that Mark Webb dropped that should have been a pick six. That's yeah. a turnover-worthy play. Uh, but in terms of his game, so the fumble, the interception, the one to Burton, and then uh, the one to Pickens that didn't count, that, that I think was thrown up for grabs, that like a PI got called if I remember right. Uh, I would bet those were his four. I'm pretty sure those were his four turnover-worthy plays in that game. Interesting.
2: Okay. No, that makes sense. I mean, I guess, you know, with, cause I mean, you're uh, a PFF expert, but you also are a football coach and you know, you have uh, a wider breadth of knowledge just outside of the grading system. So like w- we've had a lot of debate and I think there's been a lot of like conversation amongst Bulldog nation kind of coming into this next season of like, you've seen that throw from JT Daniels, like we showed earlier, where, he's pushing off his back foot and he's putting it on a rope into the sideline against cover three. And it's a NFL caliber throw. And then you see kind of some of these weird throws against Cincinnati, where his hips are opening up really early and the ball's sort of dying on him, And the, the downfield accuracy really isn't there. Um, I mean, I guess going into to next, you know, this coming season, like, It feels like there's a lot riding on whether, you know, we get kind of good JT downfield or bad JT downfield. I'm just kind of curious, like, if you have any thoughts on that as it pertains to how the offense works or if you think that could have been a knee injury issue because we know we had it cleaned up again in the offseason or
1: just where you stand on what to expect
2: from him this year, I guess.
1: I expect them to break the points per game and yards per game record. Nice. the school record. Go. I like that. Go dogs! I could. I just fade to black right now and we're out. No, that's <laughs> awesome. I mean, I, I have that expectation just because. Now things can happen. Yeah, all that. Sure. You know who knows, but with their schedule, plus with the weapons that are there, and I felt and now I maybe didn't necessarily felt this way. No Pickens. No Gilbert but uh-huh. with Gilbert and toe now, like that guy's unreal. He's yeah. just so good. And it's going to be such a matchup. I mean, the things that they can do offensively, and I've had even conversations with some of the people in and outside of the building of that, those same sort of the things that you can do like with Darnell and Gilbert on the field mm-hmm. together is just, and, and James Cook and, you know, the burden. I mean, it, it's an offensive coordinator's dream. Right. The key is not. Now we'll say this from an overarching perspective, I think for their offense, I don't see them being Alabama esque in that. Like for example, Alabama season ago, Najee Harris basically had the entirety of their sort of rushing and receiving from the running back position. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Mechie were highly concentrated in terms of their numbers of targets and where they were getting the ball it was those three it was those three guys you know and then when waddle came went away it was you know to throw in some slade Bolton, and throw in some billingsley mm-hmm. uh, but it was highly concentrated versus florida where florida had like i think 10 guys that had at least 100 yards receiving and another 10 or 11 that had at least 15 catches or something like 10 or 15 catches this spreading it out kind of thing where it's just so many weapons that everybody on the field is a threat i think that's more georgia this season is kind of like Florida a season ago where everybody's a threat. There's no one guy that you're going to be paying attention to or two guys. And you're just going to, you're going to look up at the end of the game and you're going to see this guy has 80, this guy has 70, this guy has 70, this guy has 60. And then uh, your quarterback's got almost 400 yards passing. Right. And all these different, you know, six, seven guys have tons of yardage.
2: No, that makes yeah. I mean, I I'll take it however it comes. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. If, if they decide to concentrate it, that's fine with me, but no, it's definitely exciting to think about and it can kind of uh, boggle the mind a little bit when you really do start considering all of the matchup problems that, uh, you know, all of these different skill talent players can create. Not, I mean, like a guy the size of Gilbert with his route running ability and on and on and on um, with George's offense and, and that running back position, um, it's kind of something we've discussed on here quite a bit, this, this off season is like I, you know, a guy like Kenny McIntosh, uh struggling as he does to block in the pass game, like may affect his ability to be on the, the field as a every down back or affect the offense's ability to to hurry up in certain situations. But I think the the concern for me like do you see the biggest concern as the the pass blocking ability kind of as a whole on the offense or do you think there's a a different issue on the team that, that you would be more worried about kind of derailing the potential of a special season?
1: I mean, obviously it begins and ends with the quarterback position, but independent, if you get, if you get, you know, like hopefully, you know, you want hopefully 15 games from JT, if you get those, you get that independent of that. I I honestly don't have any worries in terms of, because the, the, in the, the offensive line, people will speak to the offensive line and you want to see it. But to me, there's too much talent there right. for there not to be at least average to above average play. And that's the key that one of the things that we, that PFF have shown is offensive line play specifically is not necessarily about having Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson as elite tackles and elite type first round caliber players on your roster. It's not necessarily about that. And especially at the NFL level, it's about not having a weakness. It's about not having someone who is a sort of replacement level player who, whose grade is, you know, you would say below 65 or something like that, 65 or lower. When you start getting in that range, now you're getting into someone who defenses are going to consistently attack and make sure that you are aware that this guy has a weakness and you're going to have to you know, account for it. If, and I think there's too much talent on the offensive line that they'll figure it out they'll, they'll have to find their best five and that's what fall mm-hmm. will be about um i tend to like to me i would my opening day like we had a a piece on ugasports.com a while back like who's your opening day starting offensive line Dane tallied the votes and just sort of there mine was i assumed it would be actually warren McClendon at left tackle saw at you know one of the guard spots uh erickson at center and then uh, Schaefer, and then Broderick Jones at right tackle. Just because, like to me, Warren McClendon profiles a little bit more as a left tackle than he does a right tackle. But whoever it is, it doesn't matter. There's there's talent there, and they're really good from a talent right. perspective. And the recruiting rankings tell us that, and you know all those things. So I think they're going to get at least you know solid play across the board there, to where it's not going to be uh, a breaking point for them.
2: Gotcha. Because like I, I mean, with trust, looking at the PFF stats, you know, uh, he only got like four snaps against Arkansas, so I won't really count. But I mean, like his against Cincinnati, his pass block grade was thirty four point six. So I mean, that, struggled. That scares me. That that's the the position that I'm most like worried about as a not just a Georgia fan, but as someone trying to take an analytical look at you know, where is the potential weakness there? Like that feels like the spot. Uh, if and nothing changes,
1: right, yeah. exactly. Especially Against
2: that one. front seven, there has to be, it feels like you have to hope that someone over the course of fall camp can kind of, you know, supplant him and you'll have a different starter there at left tackle that maybe
1: has a little bit higher ceiling because it just doesn't look like that's the answer. And the beautiful part for them is that they've had a spring, a full spring, and they'll have you know all you know all fall to really work on that and find out who your best five is. And it might be something like last season where you go into game one and you have you know this guy's your left tackle, this guy's your right tackle, and halfway through the game, that's not the case. Right.
2: Yeah, that's true. Well, they did pull the ripcord on that, and you had uh, well, Erickson and McClendon come in.
0: I swear we had a section here where we were going to try to like temper the expectations, but Brent, I think you just got us even more jacked nah. up. <laughs> so, uh, I'm excited to uh, keep talking. Outside of it, game
1: one? I mean, outside of game one. Game one to me is everything. Is, I wouldn't necessarily say everything. The season doesn't end if you don't win game one, but your your mulligan and ability your mulligan and then also your ability to keep them out yeah and that's that like if you go into and you beat Clemson if you're you know you're Georgia you beat Clemson game one and you run through and you're undefeated in the SEC championship game and you you may you, you lose to whomever LSU Alabama whatever and you're whatever and one and you beat yeah. them you're in and they run their their slate guess what you're in because to me, Ohio state and Oklahoma are also going to run their slates. I just think those two teams are from a talent perspective are head and shoulders above everyone. They'll play. Uh, and thus it's, to me, it's down to, you know, two sec teams or one sec team in Clemson.
2: Right now, something crazy
1: can happen and it could, or the season could be flipped on its side, but I know I'd rather be getting Clemson in game one. Then game 12 uh, when DJU has another 12 games of experience and people are saying that he's likely the number one pick in the 2023 draft.
2: 100%, yeah. And I guess let me ask you this real quick before we let you go, if you don't mind calling your shot. Like I've heard a few people that I think are maybe foolish and are asking for trouble uh, predict some regression for Alabama and, you know, the potential for Texas A&M to supplant them. Like, do you see that at all from your chair? Like, that that Alabama has the potential to be a, a two or three loss team this year? Because we've really never seen that more than once, and that was with the starting quarterback going down.
1: Is Nick Saban still the coach?
2: Exactly. That's <laughs> what just, I'm saying. Thank
1: he, you. He just signed an extension. Right. He didn't, he didn't you know, say, hey, I'm going to be done at the end of the season. He said, I'm not done for a <laughs> while.
0: Yeah. He recruited one of the best classes in the history of ratings. I mean, so, yeah, he wants to see those boys play.
1: I have – now, I will say this. From a talent perspective, both Texas A&M and LSU are going to be the ones that give Alabama the most issue. Auburn could be a little interesting just because I think Carson is a really good coach. Him recruiting in the SEC, that's yet to be determined. But taking players who are already there and making them good, I, I have no doubt that he can do that. Uh but AM out the key for AM though is who plays quarterback. Like the same guy has taken every snap of quarterback for four years. Right. You might think you have a guy, but you know you don't know. Now We've Alabama done... you could say it's the same way, but that guy is also the number one recruit in the country a year ago. So right.
2: Well, Georgia thought they had a guy in Mathis until the lights came on and it was a different story. So yeah, it's it and I mean even with some of these highly recruited guys, yeah, like the 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 chance of them being really good is definitely higher but you just you never know until we see these guys play uh, it's it's hard to to count count them out or to count them in
1: Alabama gonna be just fine
2: <laughs> I, unfortunately I think you're right I think that'll be the case until uh, uh, if you're asking me is in charge.
0: if you're asking me as a fan I want to go through Alabama to get get to the top so uh, Brent you've been awesome thank you for your time uh, we're getting ready for the Anytime. Hawks game and uh, we'll do this again. I mean, we started digging into the okay. offensive line. I think that's one of those things. Once we get some reports back from camp, maybe we can pick your brain on some of that and, and have you back on if you'll if you'll join us. You were awesome. Thank you very much. Sounds good. Follow Brent. Yes, Pleasure. It. Thanks, Brent. Follow yeah, Brent at Brent underscore uh, PFF underscore. What is it? I'm sorry. I got it on the yeah, screen. PFF at, underscore, at, underscore, Brent. underscore Brent. Yep. And he writes for UGASports.com. And he's bringing this stuff like he just he shared with us a lot. You probably know that already. And once the season kicks off, you're going to be doing the uh, podcast with Tug, right?
1: Yep, Bulldogs by the numbers. We'll probably start that around August, a couple weeks before the season starts.
0: Thank you so much. And I believe if you're not a subscriber, ujsports.com. I believe at the end of the month, you've got you've got a few more days to sign up for 2021. 20, yep, and it's like 20 uh, bucks for the first year. 20 bucks for the first year. And by gets- the way,
1: if you're into recruiting, I follow it. I can't follow it as insanely as most of those folks do, and as good as they do, but. Blaine Gilmer, and Jed May, and another guy who is on the site Ben Bachman I think is his last name, but they have been absolutely destroying it the vault which has all the recruiting nuggets. Uh it's loaded yeah. constantly. And by the way, recruiting is, you know, on steroids right now, as it is it, so. <laughs> Oh
0: yeah. Yeah, you yeah, so get, get your subscription this month and, and get a recap of all the the visits we got that came in in June. Graham uh writes for dogsports.com and he you can follow him at dogoutwest. Um, and he's there arguing and promoting our fan base every day that he can. Uh, Graham, anything else you want to add before we we, we get ready for the Hawks?
2: Uh, I'm just I'm glad to see someone with uh, Brent's level of like analytical knowledge finally come around and agree with me that that George is in line for a special season because now I look like less than a homer, or less of a homer than than I have before. So uh, no, just really enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Brent, for coming on. Super illuminating and. Uh had tons of fun. So All right. Hope you guys it. have a good rest of the summer.
1: All right, go dogs and go hawks. That's right. There you go. I'm yeah. Right. I'm looking forward to this game. All right.